0: Welcome to Marvelous Disney.
1: Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more interesting divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill and my co host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this episode on March 25th, 2019, which is right after Captain Marvel has wrapped up its third weekend at domestic release. And. It didn't come out on top. Jordan Peele's Us. Did
0: you get to see that, Aaron, by the way? or It's very much on top of our to-do list. Yes, we'll see it, but not yet. Okay. That made $70 million this past weekend.
1: And Captain Marvel did exactly half of that business. But that's not a bad thing because that puts it at $320 million in North America, which makes it the 10th highest grossing Marvel film to date. And then when you add in what Captain Marvel has made in 54 international territories around the globe at this point, it's at $910 million. It's
0: spitting distance of a billion. And I'm sure that once again, Kevin Feige just doesn't have the energy to get out of bed with that horrible news. <laughs> People have to help him put on his socks. And uh, it's a well, tragic scene down in you Florida. Know, you know, I mean, how do you bear up under that? Oh,
1: it's not a billion yet. Oh. Yeah. According to projections, by the time we record our next Marvelous Disney podcast, it will be a member of the Billion Club and seventh film out of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. There's 21 films now, so one out of three, it has made a billion dollars, which is just kind of stunning.
0: Can you think of another studio on the planet? Is, is Pixar's batting average that good? That's the only comparison I can come up with right now. Pixar has a pretty startling batting
1: average, but at the same time... When you do the hollywood math the first couple of years that disney owned marvel they weren't making the money that they wanted to because of course they had to burn through all of the licensing deals that marvel had already made with other companies and it's it's only now really at 10 years in that disney really has finally has control over virtually all of the licensing deals i mean there is that pesky you know, master licensing deal with Universal. Right. Which reminds me, though, last week we talked about how Universal and Disney had come together to make sure that Stan Lee sounded as strong as possible in Captain Marvel. Right. Obviously, Kevin Smith uh, played a big part in that. You know, he was the one who sort of directed Kevin Feige to go to Universal. You know, the stuff's in the archive. They'll get it for you. Kevin was incredibly touched that his film, Mallrats is now part of Captain Marvel canon. And right now, Kevin is shooting the brand new Jay and Silent Bob reboot. And he decided on the heels of Captain Marvel being nice enough to make sure that Mallrats was now forever going to be part of the the Marvel Cinematic Universe, he'd return the favor. And so in Jay and Silent Bob, in fact, I guess he just tweeted out this image of it's Jason Lee in a comic book store. And he pulls a comic book off the shelf. And of course, the comic book he picks is a Captain Marvel comic book. So Very nice. Perhaps not the same equivalent, because I think this time next year, when we're talking about how much Jay and Silent Bob makes i
0: don't think we're gonna be saying a billion you never know i mean they they could pull us off something amazing who knows
1: Look, here's hoping i i've been long been a kevin smith fan in fact i'm the one idiot who likes jersey girl so
0: i do have a love-hate relationship with them because uh, kevin smith signed on with marvel to write spider-man black cat mm-hmm. which was supposed to be four issue arc mm-hmm. over the course of four months mm-hmm. And he got like i want to say two issues in, and then it took him a year and a half to two years to finish off the other two and I was so mad because the first two issues were spectacular. I couldn't wait to read three and four, and it took him like two years to come up with a way to end it, yeah, so I was actually boycotting Kevin for not giving me the rest of my story fix there but yeah i do I do really enjoy his storytelling very much
1: that same thing here to sort of circle back for a second here to the 22 films that make up the Marvel Cinematic Universe, did you see where Kevin Feige has now decided that, since we're about to put a cap on this series of films, what he'd like the series to be called going forward?
0: Yeah, he wants everyone to now call it the Infinity Saga. There we go.
1: There we go. And it supposedly it started with the original Iron Man and capped with Endgame, and I guess I can go with this. Are you would do you care one way or the other or
0: No, not really. I couldn't give a <laughs> Okay. A plus expletive one way or the other. Mm-hmm. But the main thought that I take away from that mm-hmm. decision, that proclamation, if you will, mm-hmm. is that they are looking at doing something new coming in the future. And I really, really, really hope so, because there's a couple of of things that I've got right now. One is movie fatigue, which we'll touch on a little bit later. Mm -hmm. And the other one is all of the interconnectivity is just the, the level of entry for a new viewer is way too darn high. And we need to be able to, and I really hate pointing to DC as a way to do things Mm -hmm. because their whole shared universe has been tragic, Mm -hmm. but they've looks like they kind of abandoned that idea and they're willing to do Elseworld stories where they don't have to be connected. Mm -hmm. You know who the Joker is. So if they put out a movie and it's called the Joker, you know what to expect. You know, it doesn't have to be tied to 32 other movies. And I really hope that after the whole infinity saga is wrapped Mm -hmm. that Obviously, we're going to get Doctor Strange and Captain Marvel and Spidey sequels still. Mm -hmm. But I do hope that they take advantage of that opportunity of a fresh slate to start doing things that are unexpected, not necessarily connected to everything else and just fun for the sake of fun. Like, I think Deadpool could be a very good example of that, where he doesn't have to be connected to the MCU. He can be in his own isolated movie, and he can probably curse and complain the whole time about how he's being denied entry into the MCU, and it would be a hysterically funny gag that we could all get behind.
1: Okay, I like that. I like that. I think it's worth mentioning here that the... The Zachary Levi Shazam movie has gotten wonderful notices so far that a lot of people are, are making the comparison that it's just it's just fun to be able to go to something you don't have to do hours and hours of homework
0: before you mm-hmm. go to
1: the theater. You can just sit down and enjoy this.
0: It's light, it's fresh like a sorbet. Mm. It's just very appealing to, like you said, not have to do the homework, but also where it's not the fate of the entire universe. It's just bright and fun. I think the comparison of it's like Big Mm -hmm. with a cape is a very apt comparison where I want to see that movie. I liked Big Mm -hmm. back in the day you know and if he can capture that innocence of a boy in a man's body going oh my god look at my powers and mm-hmm. and that whole marvel if you will sorry to steal that word but of being a superhero that can be a whole lot of fun and and so i'm all for Shazam making some money uh, i'm okay with the dc universe putting out good product mm, and speaking of making money the cabletv.com has
1: an interesting offer on the table right now they're looking for somebody who wants to earn $1,000. But the key to, to winning this $1,000 is you have to sit through the first 20 Marvel movies all in one sitting. The contest is called No Sleep Till Endgame. And I guess the only kindness here is that because Captain Marvel is still in theaters, you don't have to watch that one.
0: I mean, as a Marvel fan, to me it sounds like cruel and unusual punishment. Would you sit through it for 1000 $1,000?
1: I'm 60 years old. There are times I go to the movies where I fall asleep during the trailers. I mean, you get me one of those Baca loungers that they now have at movie theaters, and it's a very rare movie these days that I stay awake for through the entire thing. And so something like this was never going to work for me anyway.
0: Right. Now, back in my day in radio career, we always kind of got letters about things that go wrong during promotions. Mm -hmm and one example of that which made national news was out in california somewhere a radio station back when the nintendo wii was a hot item mm-hmm. they had a competition called Wii for a wii and you had to drink water like every half hour or whatever and then you had to not use the restroom and the last person to not have to use the restroom one a nintendo wii the only problem with that is someone died during the competition oh. because of like hydro shock, whatever. It's I'm not a doctor, but it was too much water, mm-hmm. and they died from that. Mm-hmm. And now the radio stations got lawsuits, and really all they wanted to do was give away a two hundred fifty dollar game console mm. and make some headlines. It's just that things went horribly wrong, and they made the wrong kind of headlines, and they ended up in court, and it cost them, you know, pretty penny to pay for that tragic misthinking Mm -hmm. now the prize was a thousand dollars a gift bag with some marvel swag in it and i think maybe a copy of the movies on blu-ray if you're lucky that's exactly yeah Mm -hmm. but you had to stay awake through the entire thing front to back Mm -hmm. and i'm thinking you could die from that A body needs to sleep, it needs to move, it needs food, it needs water. You can't just plan it in a seat for like four days nonstop and not have some negative repercussions. I hope they got good lawyers because I think this just sounds like a bad idea. Mm. At least break it up into days where you do like, there's three phases, right? So do phase one on Friday, let someone sleep for eight hours, do phase two on a Saturday, sleep for eight hours, phase three on Sunday, and nobody has to physically get harmed from growing roots into a theater seat. That's probably
1: good, solid advice. But the other g- rumor for this week is that we're going to get the final trailer to drop for Spider-Man uh, Far From Home. Have you heard this story that Tom Holland likes to tell about how his Peter Parker has been part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe since Iron Man 2? And
0: Yeah, that's a bunch of bunkus. That's just... That's a bad retcon there, is what that is. Let's not pay attention to that. Let's move on. Nothing to see here. What (laughs) Tom
1: is referring to is that uh, there's a really brief scene in like the last half hour of the movie, and there's this kid at the expo who's wearing an Iron Man mask. And one of the drones lands in front of him, and and the kid lifts up his hand, and he's got the toy version of the Repulsor. The drone looks at him, and it's going to take him out, and Tony Stark lands in his Iron Man outfit and blows the drone away. And before he blasts off, he turns to the kid and says, good job, kid. And then he's gone. So Tom Holland is out doing press for the original Spider-Man Homecoming. And he starts to tell people, nobody knows this, but the kid in the mask that was Peter Parker, I've always been part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And, And the interesting thing is that Kevin Feige... Uh, Sometime between when they did the movie press event and when they did the Blu-ray press event, evidently Kevin sat Tom down and they had a chat. By the time he's out pushing the Blu-ray with with Mm -hmm. reporters, it's like, well, yeah, I kind of made that up. And you know, Kevin's not really on board with that idea, but I'm going to keep saying it because I hope that if I say it enough times, it'll eventually become Marvel canon.
0: He should have doubled down right there Mm -hmm. and told everyone that Kevin confirmed it. And from now on, from Iron Man 2 all the way to Endgame is going to be called the Spider-Man saga.
1: (laughs) There we go. There we go (laughs) you go so when you know far from home comes out this summer if it does join the billion club which is isn't honestly all that far-fetched the original spider-man homecoming back in the summer of 2017 if you factor in what it did overseas it, it came within inches it made 880 million given that this is the marvel movie that comes after endgame endgame has to stick the landing for people to be hungry for another Marvel movie just two months later.
0: Yeah. And not only stick the landing, but I also think that they've got to walk right up to the opening of Mm Spider-Man far from home because look, we've been covering, you know, Marvel since day one Mm -hmm. and I've got Marvel fatigue right now. They've got three movies a year, which doesn't sound like a lot. Mm -hmm. But when I look at star Wars as a comparison point, solo a star wars story came out six months after rogue one mm-hmm. and it didn't do very well and they thought maybe it was bad placement but they want mary poppins in the december slot yada 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 mm-hmm. but really what it came down to is they put the brakes on all of the star wars stories and they're letting it it breathe more like a fine wine giving it a year off so it can build up anticipation And that's one thing right now that I don't have for Marvel movies. I didn't have it for Captain Marvel was any sort of anticipation. They've been force-feeding me like a prize pig, just fattening me up on Marvel goodness. And right now, even for Spider-Man, I don't really have any anticipation to see that movie. I mean, I will see it, and I'm fairly certain I will most likely enjoy it. But after Endgame is done, and then after my very favorite superhero I really don't care about much in the MCU. And if they have an amazing something, they got to they gotta wake me up out of my stupor. They got to do something different. And I think part of that was it's too connected right now. They need to shake it up. Just do something different. Uh, give us some solo stories that aren't connected to everything else in the MCU. You know what I'm almost really hoping for deep down inside? I'm almost hoping at the end of Avengers Endgame, they fracture the universe. Like in a way that allows the Avengers to die here in the world that we know, but it opens up the MCU multiverse and allows us to go meet a different incarnation of Captain America, maybe from a different time period that's played by a different actor telling a completely different story, or Spider-Man 2099 that takes place in the future. Like, I want them to go that crazy, like, fracture your universe, and now you've got ultimate storytelling potential to do anything you want with no restrictions whatsoever. And I think that's what they desperately need right now for me to get interested again. You know, you talk about fracturing the universe, and...
1: With the Eternals, Marvel's looking to head off into the universe. But Aaron and I will talk a, a little bit more about that when we get back from our commercial break. We haven't really talked about the Eternals on this podcast, That much anyway. I mean, we've we talked at length about the whole James Gunn Guardians 3 situation. And before we get started... On the Eternals here, I wanted to remind our listeners about a specific piece of the Guardians 3 timeline. That January of last year, James Gunn gets on Twitter and confirms that Guardians Volume 3 will be out in theaters summer of 2020. And then April of 2018, while he's down in Florida shooting Brightburn... He gets on Facebook and says, did I say summer of 2020? I meant May, May of 2020. And they had a very specific point they were going to start from. Because remember, at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, we had that scene with Aisha, the golden high priestess, the leader of the sovereign people. She had that chamber made, was like, that's a different type of birthing pod. What is that, madam? The high priestess says, That, my child, is the next step in our evolution. More powerful, more beautiful, more capable of destroying the guardians of the galaxy. I think I shall call him Adam. So the Adam in the birthing pod, Adam Warlock. Yep. That's the name of the character,
0: right, Aaron? Yep. He's a cosmic being of great immense power.
1: Mm -hmm. I want to be clear here because the Eternals are Jack Kirby's work and Warlock was not. In fact, I spent a lot of today hammering on Google looking for connections between Warlock and the Eternals, and they don't seem to really exist. I mean, you know, of course it's the Marvel Universe, and Adam Warlock actually was a founding member of the Guardians, at least in in one version of the storyline, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, the Guardians have had several iterations of cast. Mm-hmm. Well, as a matter of fact, in the last Guardians of the Galaxy movie, Mm -hmm. the Stallone character and all the other characters shown in the end scene were original. the original cast of the Guardians back in the day.
1: James Gunn evidently loved the character of Adam Warlock. In fact, I I guess Mm -hmm. in the original script for Volume 2, Warlock was going to make an appearance in in sort of the last half hour of the movie. But then they got into pre-production, and it was just one of these things where Marvel has a giant pile of money, but they don't give you all of it to make a movie. And James is a good corporate citizen. He was looking, oh, geez, I probably need to cut something out of this movie to fit my budget. And it, it ultimately, I guess, came down to whether or not he was going to fold, keep Mantis in the movie or bring you know, drop her and bring Adam Warlock in. And given that Mantis's powers were crucial for a couple of scenes in Infinity Wars, he couldn't take her off the canvas. So it's like, okay, we'll push Adam to volume three. And Kevin Feige was excited with that decision because as we, we mentioned, they were looking to kick off this whole new cosmic series of Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. You know, here we are, You know, we've locked in our May of 2020 release date and that'll be the first movie that hits after Endgame and it'll introduce the whole idea of us going cosmic. And that was a great plan until, of course, July of last year, and suddenly there's all this hubbub about James and the offensive tweets he wrote when he was working at Trauma between 2009 and 2012, and suddenly Guardians is on hold. Now it's one of these situations where it's like, oh crap, how do I get my cosmic series of movies started? And... James is back to work, my understanding is that they'll have it before the cameras either in December this year or, or by January of 2020. That's assuming that everything goes swimmingly with his Suicide Squad movie at Warners?
0: Yeah, I mean, he's got to finish that and make sure that everything is capped off. You can't finish a directing job halfway through the shoot and just walk out and go, oh, I got another gig, guys, sorry. Mm-hmm so he's got to finish his job and if there's reshoots or anything like that because there's always pickup shots or something like that like a a little shot that they forgot Mm -hmm. about they Mm -hmm. just need a quick two-second grab or whatever Mm -hmm. so we expect that there's always going to be something after filming wraps quote unquote that they will have to break out a camera and film something again Mm -hmm. for some period of time and that will determine how soon he can actually get to work on guardians of the galaxy. Now the good news is the script is already written. Mm -hmm. Everybody loves it. So they don't really have to worry about that too much. Also, as you're on set, actually filming on the day, the script is very fluid and usually changes You know, to make something flow out of the mouth a little bit more realistically. Mm-hmm. And so little rewrites always happen. We expect that. The other question that ends up coming into play is that Disney also has a ride for Guardians of the Galaxy yeah. that is being built, and there is a target date for that that really cannot be missed at any cost. Mm-hmm. And so now the question is, will James have enough time to finish his commitment to Suicide Squad then move very swiftly over to Disney pick up Guardians of the of the Galaxy Volume 3 and then on one of those very early days of filming sneak a day to film the stuff that they need to finish that ride so they can complete it i mean obviously they can keep dressing the inside with stuff to make it look cool but they still need those scenes filmed at some point before the ride actually launches. And I think they're starting to worry about if those stars are going to line or not, because they, they got to hurry.
1: Again, if you think back to 2017, uh, when Guardians opened in May in uh, volume two. And then, what, two weeks later, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout opened at Disney California Adventure, and it was this wonderful Venn diagram of publicity because the movie was a hit in theaters, and here's you know this wonderful cutting-edge attraction that's based on it, and it, it got all this good press. They had lines out the door for both the film and the attraction, and Walt Disney World is looking basically for a repeat of this, that Guardians 3 will be in theaters by May of 2021 and what Disney wants to do with this attraction in Epcot is pretty much the same thing that in that same window of time within a week to 10 days, two weeks that the Guardians ride at Epcot will open up and members of the cast will come down and you know help cut the ribbon and that's if everything works the way it's supposed to and this just kind of reminds me of the story that Brad Bird tells about he was in prep to do Tomorrowland with George Clooney. And then Kathleen Kennedy from Lucasfilm reached out and wanted to have Brad shoot the first new Star Wars movies of Force Awakens. And Brad was incredibly flattered that they offered him. And, you know, just it seemed like a wonderful sandbox to go play in. But in the end, Brad made the grown-up decision because it's like, you know, the only way this was going to work was that if Tomorrowland was a completely trouble free shoot and that post production went completely smoothly and there was no hiccup, no nothing whatsoever, so he could literally step from finishing Tomorrowland and then go straight into working on The Force Awakens. And in the end, he's like, No, that <laughs> in what fantasy version of Hollywood is that ever going to happen? And right, what's the old cliche? You got to dance with the one who brung you, and it was yeah. like. I had committed to George Clooney, I had committed to Tomorrowland, you know, so this is where I am.
0: And Star Wars don't wait for no one, so you just you just have to say, I missed that bus.
1: Yeah, yeah. I,
0: I, I do hope he gets a
1: chance to catch another
0: bus at some point. Hey, though. you know what, though? I mean, honestly, in all credit to him as a moral fiber, mm-hmm. I mean, who wouldn't love to be attached to a Star Wars movie? But he did the, the grown-up thing and he said, I don't want to mess it up. Mm-hmm. And if I get in over my head where the time constraints don't allow, that's just a recipe for disaster and it's too much of a possibility that that's just the way things go, that you always end up spending a little extra time on your project. You have to give him credit for being smart enough to step away from something that he probably very, very much wanted to take that opportunity and it was just bad timing and yeah, I agree. That's, that's a grown-up thing. Yeah. Now, Good speaking of,
1: of smart guys, though, uh, here we are, Kevin Feige, with his plan to go cosmic with the post-Endgame Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. And and now Guardians is on hold until the Fox acquisition is completed. And who knows when that's going to happen. So it's like, okay, what do I do? And the movies that Guardians 3 was supposed to had set up, one of them... Was the Eternals, and and I think as we mentioned uh, way back, uh, this is a series of Marvel books that was uh, Jack Kirby worked on. And do you know what inspired Jack to make these? Was the those chariot of the gods stories from the early seventy? 70- you know the whole notion that you know what if we we looked at the gods that supposedly you know Egypt and that sort of thing but they were UFOs. They, you know, aliens coming to Mm -hmm. earth and, you know, that, that, you know, they would have seemed like they had godlike powers. And so, you know, Jack used that as the jumping off
0: point, but- You're welcome, Stargate.
1: (laughs) There we go. There we go. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so, but the idea was that Guardians and Adam Warlock was going to help set up this world, but it's just sort of like, okay, I guess we don't get the nicety of introducing the world. We just have to jump in with both feet. So- Luckily, Kevin, uh, three months before the whole James Gunn situation started going south in July of last year, he had hired two screenwriters, the Matthew and uh, Ryan Pipro, and they hired them to work on the Eternal script. And they thought, okay, we'll do a draft and we'll submit it and we'll get notes. And, and, and no, as soon as they deliver the script in August, he's like, okay, this is great. We're going to go get a director now. And it's like, what? And they got lucky here because they had been doing a bake-off for Black Widow. They had interviewed 70 different directors looking for just the right fit. And, of course, while they settled on Kate Shoreland to direct the Black Widow movie, someone who had come to Kevin's attention during this period was Chloe Zhao. Chloe went from one competition like, oh, I didn't get the Black Widow to... Hang on, we want to talk to you about this other project, but at the same time, they they have also considered other directors for the Eternals. And what's kind of interesting for animation fans is Travis Knight. You may know from his work as Leica. I mean, you know, anybody who's seen Kubo and the Two Strings, or or for that matter, uh, you know, he just did this past Christmas's Transform movie, Bumblebee, which you know everyone said for the first time, it's like wow. This is not explosions. There's an actual character in this movie. How did that happen? But Travis was ironically wound up lo- losing the gig to Chloe, who had lost the gig to Kate Shortland on Black Widow. So I'm, I'm kind of hoping at some point Travis gets his shot at doing a gay Marvel movie. You know, Kind of like what we were just talking about with Brad, that I hope he catches the Star Wars bus at some point.
0: I should put you on the spot and have you do a spontaneous fan casting. Who would you have him direct? What what Marvel character would you have him come in? Uh, have him c- come in to direct?
1: Wow, that's an interesting question. There's this great book that somebody did that is just—it's kind of a Guardian spinoff in that it's only Rocket and it's only Groot and it's just their adventures together. Right. From an animation point of view, I would love to see him do something like that. And again, in much the same way that you know, Bumblebee was pulled out of the Transformer movies and became this great standalone character. Right. I'd love to see kind of a Butch and Sundance thing, where it's just uh, you know, Groot and Raccoon, a Rocket. You know, the downside is that it's kind of hard to. Carry a whole movie. Yeah, well, I am Groot. (laughs) You know, it's like... Right. On the other hand, Vin Diesel would get a nice check.
0: No, that's good. I like that. I like
1: that. Good call. Good call. Okay. The circle back to what's always enjoyable about what Kevin Feige does with the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies is there's character continuity, there's things that push forward. But at the same time, when you look at something like The Winter Soldier, what I love about The Winter Soldier is it's a 1970s spy movie kind of like three days right. of the condor so he's always looking to do different things with the movies and that's supposedly what's kind of interesting about the eternals is that supposedly this is going to be the first marvel movie that has a pretty significant r- romantic component because i guess at the heart of the the script that uh the writers have written there's a relationship at the very center of the script between icarus who's a man who's fueled by cosmic fuel and and Cersei, this ancient god who just loves being in the world of humans, just you know relishes being part of that world, being able to walk among us. And I guess what's kind of in- intriguing about hearing this, that romance is this big component as the Eternals is ramping up to begin production. Because just today, this story broke where they asked Kevin Feige about, well, why didn't Carol Danvers have a love interest in Captain Marvel? And... Kevin came back and said, look, as as we were developing the script and we, we took our cues from the comics, honestly, it never occurred to us to give Carol a, a love interest. I mean, that's not what this movie was about. Captain Marvel is about Carol finding herself and growing and making mistakes and being bolstered by her female friends and her, her female mentors. And again, we were, were pre-gaming, Aaron, and you, you were actually brought in your wife and, and her thoughts on the, the Wonder Woman movie keying off of kind of the same issue.
0: Yeah, I mean, the whole point when uh, Chris Pine's character dies, sacrifices himself, and Wonder Woman gets all sad was basically where my wife checked out of that movie because it was all, you know, strong woman, strong woman, strong woman. Oh, my man died. Mm-hmm. And uh, that really kind of... For her, broke the spirit of the character. That didn't seem very Wonder Woman. I mean, yeah, she liked the guy and and whatever, but they only knew each other for a couple of days, and it just it, she just thought it was a bad bad point in that movie where she just checked out from there. Okay. So there is a thread in writing, mm-hmm. in television, in film. It's not a good trend, but it still exists mostly because back in the olden days is when the entirety of the industry was populated by men. So women were housemakers, they were wives who took care of kids, but they weren't interesting characters. And this developed into a criticism where they're called Mary Sue's. It's judged as a poorly developed character, too perfect or lacking in realism to be interesting. And usually it ends up with the wife going, oh, where's my man? I got to cook him something. But her, her entire role was based around her serving her man or her family, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that this was a good move for Marvel because they're making a movie about a powerful woman. The last thing she needs is a man to help her mm-hmm. open that pickle jar, right? She's got it all on her own. She don't need a man. And as far as love interest goes, she's got no memories. This is a discovery about her. How the hell can you, you know, shoehorn in a love interest just for the sake of, you know, all Hollywood movies, there has to be a love interest for the hero or the heroine. And this was one of those refreshing moments where I was happy that she didn't rely on a man at all. Mm And she didn't feel an attachment to anyone as in, oh, that's my beau. I have to save him. None of that. Mm -hmm. And so I really have to applaud Marvel for actually steering widely around that whole possible disaster. Because they wanted to make a movie about a strong woman. And you just don't need a man for that. So this whole criticism of why didn't she have a love interest, I think is ridiculous. And to go one step past that, Mm -hmm. there was uh, some fan art. It was Carol Danvers carrying Valkyrie up. Mhm saving her and they're looking lovingly into each other's eyes and Brie Larson tweeted to Tessa Thompson, aw, we cute and Tessa replies back, so cute, you know, and now everyone's doing this fan thing about oh, you guys totally gotta be a couple in the MCU and you know what, I would be all for it if that ended up being the first, you know, openly gay character on screen, I would think it would be totes adorbs, as the kids say, and uh, I I would have no problem with that whatsoever, Really, Captain Marvel don't need a man. She's got it handled. She's the most powerful in the in the universe. So just let her be, do her thing, and when she wants a man, she'll take a man.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, in fact, it it, it, it's interesting you bring that up because I was just looking through the Civil War two, which again is an idea. I hope at some point they circle around to filtering some of the elements into the next twenty two films. But what's interesting about Mm -hmm. that is that Carol Danvers, in that uh, series of, of stories, the guy she's with is Rhodey, War Machine. Yes, she is the most powerful being in the universe, but she loves who she loves.
0: Ain't nothing wrong with Rhodey. He's a good man. There you go.
1: So, anyway, again, it's going to be interesting going forward to see what happens with the films, and and Aaron and I will be here to talk about that. But until the next Marvelous Disney, if you're looking for something to listen to, we, of course, have uh, The Disney Dish with Lentesto, We have Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor. Uh, we have Universal Joint with Dustin Fuse. We have Looking at Lucasfilm with Dan Zahair. And, of course, we have our brand-new show, I Want That with, with Jell Valladolid. If you could do Aaron and I a big favor, if you get over to iTunes and rate and recommend our shows, and if you really want to help here, If you could subscribe to Bandcamp, go check that stuff out and Aaron and I will be back in a week or so where by then we should be looking at a billion dollars worldwide for Captain Marvel. On behalf of Mr. Adams, thanks for listening and have a good night.
0: More Marvelous Disney will be coming soon. In the meantime, check out one of the other great shows found only on the Jim Hill Media Network.